The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1968, Episode 6, August through September. If they couldn't manage a shop, they could certainly make successful records. And so on August 11th, the Beatles launched National Apple Week with the release of the Black Dyke Mills Band, conducted by Paul. The single thingamabob is the theme tune Paul had written for an English TV comedy series starring Stanley Holloway. Due to the pending divorce of John versus Cynthia Lennon, John and Yoko temporarily moved into Paul McCartney's house in the St. John's Wood area of London. Lennon and Ono lived at McCartney's house in the summer of 1968. Francie Schwartz. Paul and I were lying in bed, awake, not doing anything, and we heard this outer space duet upstairs right above us and you could hear john hamana 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 and and yako bird voice which i can't do but um they even made love creatively and paul said what are they doing and i said they're making love dummy Above. You make my sad heart jump with joy. 
Johnny, oh Johnny, please tell me, dear, what makes me love you so? You're not handsome, it's true, but when I look at you, I just go oh, Johnny, oh Johnny, oh. About a certain little lad Although he's very, very bad He could be oh so good When he wanted to Bad or good He understood About love and other things For every girl in town Followed him around Just to hold his hand and sing Oh, Johnny Oh, Johnny, Johnny How you can love Wednesday, August 14th, at Abbey Road Studios, Studio 2, John Lennon and the Beatles recorded Your Blues through completion. Um, Your Blues, was that, was that also deliberately meant to be a parody of the uh, uh, English blues? No, well, a bit, because I'm a bit... We're always self-conscious, and Beatles super self-conscious people, about uh, parodying Americans, which we do and have done. I know we developed our own style, but we still in a way, parody American music. There's a self-consciousness about suddenly singing blues. I mean, we were all listening to uh, Sleepy John Estes and all that in art school, like everybody else, you know. But to sing it was something else, you know. And so I was self-conscious about doing it. So I just, I think Dylan does it a lot, you know. In, in case he's not sure of himself, he makes it double entendre. So therefore, you're securing your hipness. But George was saying, "Don't call." Or Paul, no, Paul was saying, "Don't call it year blues. Just say it straight, you know." But I was self-conscious, and I went for the year blues, you know. Year blues was great. We all left the studio and went to a little, a little room, so there's no separation, and there was lots of group activity going down. Quite a few of the tracks are just straight takes of what's playing. Year blues. We were just in a room half the size of this next to the just to have a change we just did it here is the way it was intended to originally sound on the LP complete with chants from India
girl, you know the reason why. with Lennon's Your Blues, recorded in the old studio storage room adjacent to Studio 2 in EMI's Abbey Road.
Also on Wednesday, August the 14th, again with Yoko much in evidence, John said about the recording of a new composition, the downright bizarre What's the New Mary Jane. I'm getting crumb. Yes, sir, that's my baby. This song also was destined to be on the next Beatles LP, which was at that time titled A Doll's House. It was going to be named that after Hendrik Ibsen's 19th century masterpiece. The album later would be just simply named The Beatles, or as it was affectionately known, The White Album. The song What's the New Mary Jane was then left off at the last minute, owing to lack of space and, very probably, peer pressure. The influence of Yoko Ono on John Lennon's musical ideas was rapidly becoming evident. It features Yoko and Mal Evans, with John singing lead vocals and playing piano, and George Harrison on guitar. Uh, it's me, George, and Yoko, actually. Uh, and Yoko. Out of our minds on the floor of EMI one day, and it's a wonderful song. She looks as an African queen. She eating 12 chapatis and cream. She tastes as Mongolian lamb. Coming from Aldebaran What a shame Mary Jane had to pay the party Like to be married with Yeti He grooving such cookie spaghetti She jumping as Mexican bean To make that her body more thin What a shame Mary Jane had a pain at the party What a shame Mary Jane, what a shame Mary Jane had a pain at the party she catch Patagonian pancakes With that one and gin party makes She having always good contacts She making with apple and contract
The chemistry between John and Yoko was noticeable even to strangers. An American writer named Francie Schwartz witnessed Ono and Lennon's relationship. She was already a part of John. She was like John's extra brain, John's other heart. I think Paul might have felt left out because John was his primary partner. On Thursday, August the 15th, at 7 p.m., all four Beatles were in the recording studio at Abbey Road for the recording of a new Paul McCartney song. I want to hear that, boy. I want to hear that. The basic track of Rocky Raccoon was Paul McCartney on acoustic guitar, Ringo on drums, and John Lennon on bass. George Martin later added the honky-tonk piano, and John added the harmonica. Here is take one. The song was later finished by 3 a.m. He was a fool unto himself. Rocky Raccoon. The Rocky Raccoon. He was a fool unto himself. And he would not swallow his foolish pride. Mind you, coming from a little town in Minnesota, it was not the kind of thing that a young guy did when a fellow went and stole his chick away from him. Now Rocky Raccoon checked into his room Only to find Gideon's Bible Rocky had come equipped with a gun to shoot off the legs of his rival His rival, it seems Had broken his dreams By stealing the girl of his fancy Her name was McGill 
And she called herself little But everyone knew her as Nancy Now she and her man Who called himself Dan Were in the next room at the hoedown And Rocky burst in And grinning a grin Said, Danny boy, this is a showdown But Daniel was hot He drew first and shot And Rocky collapsed in the corner The doctor walked in Sminking of gin <laughs> Sminking? <laughs> Proceeded to lie On the table He was really sminking of gin And it did him in in the end Poor doc Meantime back on the table Yeah The doctor said Rock You met your mad son Rocky said it's only a scratch, son I'll be better soon You better be better soon Said the doc Come on, son Gotta get hip Gotta get up Gotta get back to your gun Gotta go and show that Danny boy However, Rocky Raccoon Fell back in his room Only to find Gideon's Bible Checked out and left it no doubt to help with good Rocky's revival. Tensions mounted when Lennon pushed Yoko Ono into the Beatles' inner circle. Writer Francie Schwartz lived with Paul McCartney after Jane Asher moved out. One of the problems as perceived by Paul and others in the company was that John was bringing Yoko into it and he wanted to finance some of her art as well as pay off some of her debts and they wouldn't give him a nickel. Beatle biographer Stephen Gaines describes Lennon's growing frustration. The Beatles didn't satisfy some longing that John had about the world. He was afraid he was going to end up in Las Vegas um, as a lounge act. Yoko Ono gave him possibilities. Yoko Ono gave him alternatives to being a Beatle. Ironically, Lennon was suing his 28-year-old wife, Cynthia, for divorce on the grounds of her adultery a one-night stand she had after finding Lennon at home with Ono. But in August 1968, the 27-year-old Beatle was forced to change tactics. 
He finally had to drop the adultery charges when it came out that Yoko Ono was pregnant. In England, you can't sue your wife for adultery if your mistress is pregnant with your child. Cynthia turned the tables and filed for divorce. August 22nd, the eve of their sixth wedding anniversary, Cynthia sued John for divorce on the grounds of his adultery with Yoko. It's reported that Cynthia Lennon is suing John Lennon for divorce, citing Yoko Ono as the reason. Apple press officer Derek Taylor. I was short of the Daily Mirror rang and said, oh, it's happened, has it? And I've got another couple of dodgy ones. John's father's uh, getting married, I think, and uh, we hear Yoko's pregnant. Nothing happened on its own. It all happened. Everything was happening all the time. On August 22, 1968, becoming fed up with what he considered abusive treatment by the other members of the group, Ringo Starr announced that he was quitting the Beatles. Beatles producer George Martin. Because of the, of the mental strangeness with John and Yoko and Paul, uh, having not quite the buddiness they used to have, uh, Ringo might have said to himself, am I the cause, you know? and maybe it was causing paranoia with him. It was, everybody was getting cheesed off. I felt two things, I felt I wasn't playing great, and the other three were really happy and I was an outsider. And so, you know, I came to this decision, fuck it, I'm leaving. And so I went to see John. I knocked on the door and I said, uh, you know, hi, we went in. I said, I'm leaving the group because, you know, I feel like, you know, unloved and out of it, and I'm not playing well, and you three are really close. <laughs> and he said, I thought it was you three. <laughs> so, okay. And then I went over to Paul's and locked on his door. So uh, I said the same thing. I said, you know, I'm leaving the band. I, I feel, you know, you three guys are really close, and I'm out of it. And he said, I thought it was you three. But, yeah, Ringo did leave. Um, I can't remember exactly why i just remember he was suddenly one day i think neil or somebody said oh ringo's gone on holiday <laughs> so i went on holiday to sardinia and um just by chance uh, some guy lent us his boat they were great in those days they'd lend you anything <laughs> and uh, we're on the boat so we're with the kids and i said to the captain uh, i'd like some fish and chips for lunch <laughs> and he said oh okay in sardinian of course and uh, so we went swimming, doing what we do, and we came back, and he said, oh, your dinner's ready. And we went and sat around the table, and we, we recognized the chips, the French fries, but we didn't recognize the other stuff. I said, hey, what's this? What's this fish? He said, oh, that's octopus. I said, oh, we don't eat octopus. Yeah, we're from Liverpool, you know what I mean? We don't eat octopus. <laughs> Anyway, through the course of that afternoon, I was just chatting with the guy, and uh, he said, oh, do you, do you know, I'm trying to do like Peter Sellers, oh, do you know, uh, <laughs> you know about octopus? The octopus? He said, you know, they, uh, they live you know, on the bottom in caves, and they go around the ocean bed, and they pick up shiny things, and they put them in front of their cave. Well, it just blew me away, actually, and, you know, I, in those days, I'd had one of those herbal cigarettes. Uh, well, went to my head. And I just thought this was so beautiful that I wrote this song called Octopus's Garden. And uh, then, you know, we found out that he was thinking that us three all got on so well and he didn't. So we had to kind of reassure him that we did think he was great. I mean, you know, that's, that's what it's like in life. You, you go through life, you don't, you never stop and say, Hey, 
Oh, I thought you were great. Well, I don't think we'd ever done any of that with Ringo. It always just been, yeah, he's great. He's good. And he, he he felt insecure, so we had to, and he, he left. So we had to kind of go and say, no, you're great, man. you're the best. And then he sort of, he said, oh, thank you. I think he was pleased to hear that. You know, and I knew we were just in a messed up stage, all of us. Uh, then, you know, it wasn't just me, it was the whole thing was going down. Now ex-recording engineer Jeff Emmerich comments on Ringo quitting the sessions. I left and to me the whole thing was just a shambles. And I, and I believe George Martin said to me, he said, you know, Jeff, if I could, could do that, I, I would. He said, but I've got one thing that's happening for me. I'm going on holiday in a couple of weeks' time. So at least he, he knew he was going to get a break from it, you know? On August 23rd, even with Ringo's departure from the group, John, Paul, and George record back in the USSR. Paul McCartney plays the drums on this track. On Saturday, August 24th, for much of the British viewing public, John and Yoko nailed their true colors to the mast during this remarkable TV appearance, an interview with David Frost on the fourth edition of his latest series, Frost on Saturday. And now uh, we want to welcome two people whom you probably know, but two people whose art exhibition this year in London had a bigger impact than 
any other art exhibition, certainly, and whose philosophy about life and art fascinates a lot of people. Let's welcome now, please, Mr. John Lennon and Miss Yoko Ono. Nice to see you. Thank you. It was networked live from Wembley Studios. We'll start communicating as we oh, end with like the audience. Join in now. Yeah. Getting the yeah, audience a communicating now by joining in. On Wednesday, August 28th, it's back to Trident Studios for eight-track recordings. Dear Prudence, the subject of this and the next two days' work, was a fine new John Lennon composition dedicated to Prudence Farrow, sister of actress Mia Farrow. On this day, a basic track was taped first. George's and John's guitars, John supplied the hypnotic picking which opens and runs throughout the song, and Paul McCartney on drums.
Ringo, what did you think of the drumming on uh, Back in the USSR and Dear Prudence, the songs they recorded when you left? Yeah. Uh, well, Back in the USSR is very good. Uh, Dear Prudence. What about Dear Prudence? I'm not on it. Right. And, and you don't like the drumming well, on it? Who is on it? Well, the, the word is Paul played the drums on that. Well, if, if that's the word. A box full of four Apple releases came out at the end of August 1968. This 1968, on August 26, 1968, was introduced by George Harrison. I produced a record by Jackie Lomax. This Apple single features George Harrison on rhythm guitar, Paul McCartney on bass, Eric Clapton on lead guitar, Ringo Starr on drums, and Nicky Hopkins on piano.
The B-side to Sour Milk Sea was a song called The Eagle Laughs at You. It's produced by George Harrison. August 30th, Apple releases Those Were the Days by Mary Hopkin. The record is beautifully produced by Paul McCartney using bazookies, banjos, clarinets, and a fine string arrangement. Its lyrical folk melody takes the world and sells four million copies in three months.
Peace. 
was Turn, 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 the B-side to the single by... Mary Hopkin, and those were the days, one of the first four singles released on the Apple label. Another one of those first four coming next. Also on August 30th, the Beatles released Hey Jude, backed with Revolution. The length of Hey Jude forced a lot of radio programmers to change their views, as they'd been used to playing songs that were only two or three minutes long. Paul wrote the piece after John had separated from Cynthia. Paul drove down to see Cynthia and Julian, to whom he felt quite close. Paul and Julian began singing together, Hey, Jules, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Beetle Road manager and best friend Mal Evans explains the how and why of Hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. That's come from a lot of different places. Let people read into it where it came from. But it was about the time that uh, John and Cynthia were breaking up and they had a boy called Julian. And Paul was driving out to John's house to write with him and get together with him. And he was driving on and he was thinking, hey, Jewel, don't make it bad. You know, these things happen. You've got to... But he thought, well, that's too personal for the public, you know, to air uh, your dirty washing, whatever it is in the public. So that's where it came from, Julian. Hey, Jewel. Later, as the song was forming in his head, Paul changed it from Jules to Jude, which he thought sounded better. He continued to write lyrics for it off the top of his head just to fill it out. He recorded it on cassette and took it to John, explaining that the words were just filler and he intended to work out better ones later. John thought they were great just the way they were and insisted that nothing be changed. Hey Jude, I sort of wrote that one on my own. We often wrote things separately. Um, and Hey Jude was really my one. And I'd written that and there was one line in it that said the movement you need is on your shoulder and I just put that in to block in the words you know I thought that's a daft line you said, nobody knows what that means you know the movement you need is on your shoulder it sounds like Treasure Island you know Jim Lad there's <laughs> a parrot or something but uh, I remember John uh, and Yoko were around at my house and I played them a demo tape of it and I said you know I'm going to change this line he said you're not you're kidding it's the best line in it man the movement you need is on your shoulder I say, well, what's it mean? This is great. So you know that kind of thing. You you can't. There's no. You can't replace that. And that was it. So we kept that in. And I'm totally convinced about that line. You know, the minute somebody like him, who I respected, would say that is a great line. Don't change it.
When they taped it, George wanted to put guitar lines throughout the piece, but Paul disagreed. I told George not to play guitar because he wanted to play Hey Jude, don't make it bad, take a sad song, one of the echoing phrases, you know. And I really didn't see it like that, and it was a bit of a number to, for me to have to dare to tell George Harrison to not play. It was like an insult. On the Hey Jude recording, when we started the actual performance, you know, I started on piano. There's no drums for the like the first verse or two. Ringo was in the toilet, and I start <laughs> of "Hey Jude," and he, he hears me starting a panic. Whoa! And he leaps back to so he's creeping behind me so as not to knock a mic. <laughs> sits down at the set, you know, and that's the actual take you hear on the record. So it all worked out so magic on that one particular take. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song. Start to make it better. Hey, Jude, don't be afraid. You were made to go out and get her. The minute you let her under your skin, then you begin to make it better.
The Beatles' first attempt as Apple artists ultimately became the group's all-time best-selling single, promising much for their brand new label. After Hey Jude was released, the Beatles filmed themselves singing Hey Jude before a live audience, consisting mainly of Beatles fan club members. It was on this day, September the 4th, that Ringo had rejoined the band for the filming of the live promotional video. They sent the film to various television stations across the United States and in Europe. One of the stations was CBS Television in America, where it was aired on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. It's the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, with guest stars Barbara Felder, Bill Medley, Pat Paulson, Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, several weeks ago, uh, the Beatles called us from London asking us if we'd be interested in uh, having them on tape. They filmed, uh, taped a uh, presentation of their hit song, Jude. And uh, of course we said yes. And we will be the only uh, television show to have this film. And we're very proud to have it. It's a fantastic performance by them because most of the films are, are things of the Beatles that have been on television. Recently, the last several years, have been uh, films over records. And they're performing live. And it's very exciting. Ladies and gentlemen, friends of all of us, meet the Beatles. A week after Hey Jude was released, the Beatles made their last television appearance promoting a new song. It was on the David Frost Sunday program, and it was seen around the world. Absolute poetry. Welcome back to part three, as you can see, with the greatest tea room orchestra in the world. Make right. No, we're in black and white at this very moment, I'm afraid. But as you can see, making their first audience appearance for over a year, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! It's now on! Try one more while we're running. The following week, the New Music Express reported that the song had already sold two million copies. In creating the song Revolution, John recorded two versions, Revolution Number no. 2 and Revolution Number no. 9. Because originally, uh, I called Revolution Number no. 2 the one that's on the album, and Revolution Number no. 9 uh, with them. But they went away and I was wanted out as a single because it was revolution and that's what, there's a lot of violence going on and I wanted to get it out as a single. But the others sort of came back from holiday and said, oh, well, we don't think it's commercial or not good enough. And so they cut a third version of the song and called it simply Revolution and it became the B-side of Hey Jude. 
The Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Hi. If you watched our show last week, you saw the Beatles singing Hey Jude. And if you also watched the show the week before, you didn't see Harry Belafonte singing Please Don't Stop the Carnival, which has nothing to do with the fact that the Beatles will now sing Revolution. Or does it?
When you talk about destruction, count me out, in, what did you mean by that, John? Oh, that means I'm not sure, you know. I really think, you know, if it gets to destruction, you can count me out. But I'm not sure, you know, I'm human and I'm liable to change or depending on the situation. I prefer non-violence, you know. Hey Jude and Revolution, the first Beatles record to be released on the Apple label. In America, it reached number one on September 28th and stayed there for nine weeks. Thursday, September the 5th, 1968, is the grand return to EMI Studio 2 of Ringo Starr. His drum kit smothered in flowers, graciously adorned by Mal Evans. And I came back and went in the studio in Georgia that is decked out with flowers. It's just flowers everywhere. And John had sent me telegrams saying, you're the best rock drummer, come on home. <laughs> and, uh, and I just felt good about myself again. And we'd, you know, we'd got through that little crisis and uh, it was great. And then... Then the White Album really took off. With the return of Ringo Starr back in the studio, they continued to work on George's track, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Still my guitar gently Let's hear that back. The next day, Friday, September the 6th, perhaps the most famous incidence of the Beatles bringing in an outside musician to play on a studio recording was Eric Clapton's marvelous performance on this track. Eric was brought in by the insistence of Mr. Harrison, who was finding it harder to be a part of the ever-growing tension and the egomania that was present in the studio. It's interesting to see how people behave nicely when you bring a guest in because they don't really want everybody to know that they're so bitchy. And this happened when I brought Eric Clapton in to play on My My Guitar Gently Weeps. Suddenly everybody's on their best behavior. On this session, Eric Clapton's guitar work was recorded as an overdub. George only suggested to Eric Clapton that he might wish to contribute on the track just a few short hours earlier, when George was giving Eric back a lift from Surrey, where they both lived, into London. Here's Eric Clapton. I got a house, I bought a sort of flat in King's Road, but I had started Apple, and then I used to see George quite a lot, just for fun, you know, and uh, he said that he would, I mean, it was almost very, it was very spontaneous. We were actually in his car. Yeah, you drove car. into London in my car. And he said, oh, do you want to come and play on this yeah. record? <laughs> I went, all right. He said... Well, no, there, nobody's ever played on a Beatle record. They won't like that. And I said, yeah, it's nothing to do with them. It's my song. And so we, we came. Yeah. The days to follow saw producer George Martin go on holiday and producer Chris Thomas take control of the EMI control room. Jeff Emmerich explains why George Martin decided to go on holiday in the middle of a Beatles recording session. 
Well, well, yeah. I mean, he. I mean, it was late, late night stuff, you know, because he was running his own company as well, which was air. And you know, he was, George wasn't going to sit there till four in the morning. That's why, you know, about one or half past one, George often used to, to go, and we, we, and that normally would be the time we were doing Paul's bass or something, you know. On Wednesday, September the eleventh, George Martin returned. On this day, Glass Onion was recorded. Glass Onion was not especially difficult to record, but the Beatles ran through thirty-four takes of the basic rhythm track. Drums, bass, lead, and acoustic guitars. On September the 12th, John Lennon superimposed his lead vocal voice with a tambourine. John must have found the mono mixes of Glass Onion lacking in something, and he decided that sound effects were needed. The remainder of the session was spent compiling a bizarre four-track tape never used, but identical from beginning to end. Track 1 had a telephone ringing. Track 2 had one note of an organ. Track 3 had the BBC television soccer commentator Kenneth Wollstenholme shouting, It's a goal! with the crowd roaring in the background. And track 4 had the sound of a window being smashed. A strange concoction. Let's listen in to Take 33, remixed by John Lennon. I told you about strawberry fields You know the place where nothing is real Well, here's another place you can go the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time!
Hey everyone, Paul and James here to tell you about one of the best music podcasts online today. It's called Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Yeah, as longtime listeners of our show know, Take It Away and its hosts, Ryan Brady and Chris Mercer, are the authority on all things Paul McCartney, Wings, and the Beatles. Their five-star rated podcast walks you through every single Paul McCartney release from 1970 to present day. That's every song on every album, including singles, B-sides, bootlegs, and you will most likely hear songs you've never heard before, which is part of the fun of the show. You'll also hear old favorites from new perspectives, all lovingly placed in the context of McCartney's career and the musical sounds of their era. Yeah, and don't miss the amazing interview with Denny Lane, co-founder of Wings and McCartney songwriting collaborator, as well as a slew of other special guest appearances that give some really cool insight into the music that spans the last 50 years. So if you're a McCartney fan, you've found your new favorite show, because I know I have. Seriously, I never miss an episode, and neither should you. That's Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney Archive podcast, available for download now wherever you find podcasts. Check it out now! I'm Paul Kaminsky. And I'm James Kaminsky. And we are the co-hosts of the Third Men Podcast. We are a Jack White history podcast where we go over the White Stripes, Third Man Records, the list goes on. And occasionally, we do a funny voice or two. So you're going to probably want to get used to that. Or turn it off. Whatever your preference. Or whatever turns you on. (laughs) Hey now, you're an all-star, because occasionally we'll do an all-star. We did do an entire Smash Mouth episode once, that is true. (laughs) We are every other week on Wednesdays, and we are available on iTunes and really wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so why don't you come on and find yourself a little home here with us? We promise we'll be weird roommates. If I want to do the dishes without my pants on, that's my deal. That was weird, see? We weren't even lying. 